Kitty Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Rachel Geller. Rachel's been on our show a couple of times before. So if you're interested in finding out about Rachel's beginnings, how she got started, I highly recommend you go to the communitycatspodcast.com and search Geller in the search bar. The shows will come up. But Rachel, who is a certified humane education specialist and cat behavior and retention specialist, today we're going to be celebrating her launch of her new book called Saving the World, One Cat at a Time. Rachel, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Stacy, for having me on again. This is great. Congratulations on your book. Uh, it's fantastic, and it's a great read, and I'm thrilled to discuss the book with you today. I just wanted to start off by asking you, what gave you the idea? What made you want to write a book? That's a great question. I really hadn't entertained the thought of writing a book until about a year ago, the Boston Globe featured me in their newspaper talking about my work with cat behavior and my work in various shelters. And after that article appeared in the Globe, a Globe columnist contacted me and said, would you be interested in working with me writing a book? And she explained that it would be what she calls an as-told-to. So she would ask me the questions and interview me, and I would answer her questions, and then she would actually take my content and write the book. Her name is Nancy West. She was my editor, and I actually call her a more delightful and articulate version of myself. She did a wonderful job capturing everything that I could possibly want to say about cats, She really brought my work to life through this book. When I was reading through the book, you know, first and foremost, it's very personal. You talk about a lot of personal stories, and you even have sort of the relationship that you have with your husband around the cats, which is also fantastic to share. For cat lovers, many times there's a big balance that goes on in the the home setting with regards to who's first and who's second. I don't know if you're willing to share what Joel's opinions are on that issue, but it's definitely something that you discuss in the book. It is. And I agree with you. It it is a balance. And I think I speak for probably a lot of your listeners right now when I say that we are very passionate about the work we do. We love cats wholeheartedly. And I know I would do almost anything to save the life of a cat. And so I'll be the first to admit that it can be a burden at times. I mean, there are many nights that I'm up at 12 o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, because I am not going to go to sleep until I am able to solve a cat behavior problem for a client. There have been times where I've jumped in the car and rushed out to help someone. And I think I'm lucky because although my passion can most likely at times be a pain in the neck, my husband does also appreciate my passion and finds it nice that a person can be so passionate about something or or someone. I'm looking through your table of contents here in the book. I know, you know, Nancy was your editor, but as you envisioned answering questions from her and her thought process, who do you picture purchasing this book? My first thought when I was writing this book was I would want people who, you know, are having cat behavior problems or someone who's just adopted a cat to buy this book. 
maybe it's somebody who I've worked with and they want the book for a reference for not only the problem that I've helped them with, but future problems. And perhaps somebody who is just adopting a cat may see this book and think this would be a great reference to have. But I've also had a lot of shelters ask me for a few copies of the book to have on hand to give to potential adopters. So I would think, you know, the people who would be most interested in this book is somebody who either presently has a cat or is strongly considering adopting a cat. And I don't know, maybe my friends and family might just want to read it too. It starts off talking a lot about your history as a child and how you really grew into the passion of the cats that you have. And, you know, the title intrigues me so much because you have it saving the world one cat at a time. And one thing that I have firmly believed my involvement in this whole cat world is not just about cats, but it's about community and helping make your community a better place. And it seems like maybe you're sort of in that same thought process that it's much more than just cats. I mean, well, people will look at me and like, why are you spending so much time just on cats? And they don't understand the ripple effect that happens if you behave a certain way around cats and you're working with cats and you're helping the cats in your community, you're helping your community and you're helping other animals in the community and you're helping other families. You're teaching lessons. Is that something that is important to you? It's very important. I grew up in a fairly observant household. My father was a rabbi. And one of the things my dad taught me as a very young girl, and this is in the book, is that every morning before I sat down and had breakfast, I should always feed my cats because they depended on me for their nourishment. They depended on me for their survival. So before I fed myself, I was supposed to feed my cats. And I kind of grew up with that feeling that it's important to take care of the more vulnerable and the more dependent in the community. To your question about people asking why we spend so much time with cats, I get the same question, especially being a retired special educator. People say to me, you know, why why aren't you helping people? Why are you helping cats? And I say to them, every time I help a cat, I'm helping a person too. And typically not just one person, but as you said, a person and her spouse, a person and his kids, a person and his community. So it really does extend. And for those of us who believe that animals are part of our community, this is very important work that we do. I can't agree more than you've already just said. I'm just curious, I'm not as familiar as obviously you are. What is a cat behavior and retention specialist? There are a lot of cat behaviorists out there, and clearly those are people who focus on cat behavior. I'm actually certified as a cat behavior and retention specialist. And what that means is that my goal is to really get at the behavior problems before somebody is at their wit's end and is ready to surrender their cat. Working with shelters when a cat is adopted, getting in there in a preemptive strike helping the adopter work with behaviors before they come up as opposed to once it's reached the crisis point. So the word retention means the cat is being retained in the home. So my goal is to provide the adopter or cat owner, depending on when I come into the picture, with the skills and the tools and the knowledge to not get to that point where the cat is being considered to be returned to the shelter. And my goal is to really help shelters to put in their own cat behavior and retention programs so these problems can be dealt with in a more timely manner as opposed to when the person is really calling the shelter and saying this cat has to go back. 
Yeah, it's, it's a hot topic in my mind. It's something that's been rattling around in, in my mind for quite a few months is the whole concept of let's look at our programs going forward in the future. Maybe we have some of our population issues under control or in a better balance. Therefore, we may have some more capacity in our shelters or in our facilities to do some other programs. And what are the types of programs that we can do in order to better ensure that we are getting the cats that are on the edge of having behavior issues, or they are having behavior issues, but people are putting up with it for now, but then they're going to be really frustrated two weeks from now. You know, how do we as shelters and rescues work within the community to be able to triage or to proactively prevent behavior issues? Should we do outreach campaign about like litter box issues? You know, should we do press releases in the community to educate folks on the things they need to do in order to prevent certain behaviors in the household? Or in addition, at the point of adoption, introducing the adopters to a behavior consultant contact so that they can work with them if they want to have some questions. That idea of point of contact is such a powerful one. I just did a program at the Bay Path Humane Society where I went out and taught about 30 volunteers how to socialize cats, how to work with potential adopters, and how to identify problems that the cat might be exhibiting at the shelter that you know when that cat gets into the home could present itself as a problem that might be difficult for an adopter. I mean, one of the main problems is when the doctor first brings a cat home, you know, that person hasn't bonded yet with that cat. If the cat isn't quite the little fluffy, cute thing, you know, the person was expecting, it's pretty easy for that person just to say, I'm going to return the cat. So we want to really help the volunteers and staff at shelters identify problems that can arise and what can we do right at the beginning to prevent those problems from blossoming and potentially ending up in a cat's return. So that's kind of what my cat behavior and retention program was the Help Institute at the Bay Path Humane Society. And I'm going to be doing another one in September for the New Hampshire SPCA. But I think that's really like our new front line of keeping cats in their homes is, you know, if a cat's a little bitey at the shelter, chances are that's going to happen in the home. So what can we teach the adopter now for how to handle that problem should it arise? If the cat's a little shy in the shelter, chances are that's a cat that when the adopter brings them home is going to go run under the bed and hide. And the adopter's like, why doesn't this cat like me? Again, um, heading those problems off at the past, teaching the adopter techniques and skills and understanding of those behaviors so it doesn't reach that crisis point. And even just, as you said, education. So when a cat hides or hisses, it's not that the cat doesn't like the new adopter. That cat's way of trying to cope with all of these changes in her life. And so even just explaining what's going on in the cat's mind to the adopter can be really helpful. So all of these approaches Approaches, I think, are really the new way of looking at adoption in terms of educating the adopter, preventing potential problems from arising, and giving the adopter the tool. And I don't know if every shelter is at the point yet of having their own behaviorist, but certainly I'm trying to go around to all the shelters and save the world one cat at a time. And I think there's a lot more people who are getting into cat behavior and doing similar things. Yeah, I think it's fantastic, the program that you're doing and that you're going around and helping and you're empowering others. If you've got 30 volunteers that you're reaching out to, then they'll have some tools to be able to share. And I would think with foster homes, it would be really impactful too. I think that would be another area of volunteers would be really important for them to have that kind of exposure to the work that you've done. 
Yes, and I have gone into quite a few foster homes and helped people set up their sanctuary rooms in a way that will be more cat-friendly. That is a very good tool as well because the foster program is so important to so many shelters. So when you're working with clients or with shelters, what are the top three key bullet points in terms of behavior issues? I would say the biggies that I get are litter box problems, scratching problems such as inappropriate scratching where the cat owner doesn't really want the scratching to occur, and intercat relationships. So somebody goes out and adopts Fluffy to be the new sister for the resident cat, and the resident cat isn't so thrilled with this new addition (laughs) to the household. Are you struggling to increase positive outcomes in your shelter? Are you overwhelmed with high stray intake and low owner reclaim? Do you wish you had solutions to your biggest problems? The Path Ahead provides in-person and remote consulting for animal welfare organizations. Let us help you to increase life-saving by engaging your community and maintaining the human-animal bond. The Path Ahead teaches proven best practices for humane, effective animal welfare, including community cat management, missing pet prevention and recovery, and progressive adoptions. By identifying and addressing outdated and unproductive practices, you can reduce intake and length of stay and keep animals in their loving homes where they belong. Leave the past behind and take the path ahead to success. Visit our website at www.animalwelfaresuccess.com. I'm going to ask you this. I apologize because I didn't ask you this ahead of time. But, you know, if you could only have five things to bring with you into a house of a client that you were working with, what are the five most important tools you need to have for a happy cat? Okay, well, the first thing I would say is a fishing pole type toy for interactive play. Throwing a bunch of solo toys on the floor is not play, everybody. The next thing I would say is a scratching post that is at least three feet tall and rope or sisal wrapped. Short carpet covered posts are pretty much useless from the cat's point of view. A litter box that is uncovered would be my next item, so I think I'm up to three. Number four, something to expand the cat's vertical space. So that could be either a window perch, some type of shelving. And the fifth thing would be a cozy bed that the cat can have as his own space. What are your thoughts about like those cardboard scratchy thingies? That's a good question because some cats actually are horizontal scratchers. So I'll say to people, look at where your cat is scratching. So if he's scratching horizontally on the rug, that's different than the cat who's scratching vertically on the sofa. Some cats might prefer a horizontal cardboard scratching pad. So it's worth investigating if you do have a cat who tends to be more of a horizontal scratcher. What are your thoughts around cat grass or edible plants for cats in the home? I think if your cat enjoys catnip or cat grass, great, go for it. I mean, not all cats love it, but some cats really love it. And as long as you're careful to buy something that is specifically for cats and cat safe and not toxic to cats, I think it's a great idea to kind of give the cat another opportunity for play and for stimulation in the household. I mean, with indoor cats, anything we can do to mimic the outdoors, which is why I say, you know, with the scratching post, it should be tall and rope covered to better simulate trees is all good to keep an indoor cat occupied. Now, what would you say if somebody's veterinarian recommended putting a cat on medication for behavioral issue? What are your thoughts around the medication side of things? 
just like some people, a pharmacological approach can be necessary. I would say, you know, if you've tried every type of behavior modification out there and you've really been consistent and you've been structured with it and you're not getting any results, that could be a time to look into some type of pharmacological intervention. And sometimes the medication can allow the cat to access the program that I've written out and then the cat may be able to be gently weaned from that medication. But just like people, there are cats who are wired in a certain way and really do need medication to live a happy life. It's very different, but I would suggest to people that unless, you know, it's a real danger, unless the cat is very, very aggressive, going through a behavior program would be my first line of defense because there are side effects to medication and it can be difficult to pill a cat. So if you can fix the behavior problem through behavioral intervention and techniques, that would be the best case scenario. Have you worked with uh, many cats that were declawed? I have. I do get a lot of calls from people with declawed cats who, who bite a lot, which is common. My understanding is that it would be best not to have your cat declawed. I am 100% against declawing. There's no way I can emphasize through this radio program <laughs> how horrifying the idea of declawing is to me. It is definitely a form of torture. The cat's claws are cut off at the knuckle. Many of them experience pain for the rest of their lives. I do get calls, as I said, from people who have declawed cats who then become very bitey or they scratch a lot because they feel vulnerable. They've lost their first line of defense and they know it. So it harms a cat physically, it harms a cat psychologically. I have been almost 100% successful in retraining cats who are scratching where we don't want them to scratch. That is a fixable and solvable problem that can be handled very easily without declawing. If folks are interested in purchasing Saving the World One Cat at a Time by Rachel Geller, how would they do that? So my book is available on Amazon. So if they just go to Amazon.com and type in the title, Saving the World One Cat at a Time, and my name, Rachel Geller, the book will come up and they can just press purchase and it will be on the way to them. Um, and I'd also like your listeners to know that I'm donating a portion of the proceeds of the sales back to cat shelters. So every time they buy the book, not only will they be learning about cats and helping their cats, but money is going back to cat shelters to help cats in that way as well. And if folks are interested in reaching out to you directly, is there contact information for that? Yes. If anybody would like to email me, they can email me at drrachelgeller at gmail.com. And that is D-R-R-A-C-H-E-L-G-E-L-L-E-R at gmail.com. Great. Rachel, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just like to let everyone know that most cat behavior problems are fixable and solvable. So please give your cat a chance, call me or call another cat behaviorist and try to keep that cat in his home that he loves. Rachel, thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on in the future. And for listeners, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, tune in, listen to past podcasts like the podcast with Rachel in the past and support the show, share with friends and really appreciate your support. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 